If he were available to play, he would play. Our medical team always makes those decisions. If he saw it all, I think it's the prudent decision. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. It was a fun six-game slate in the NBA on Thursday. Uh, big performances right around the place, big stories, great stuff across the NBA. We're going to be looking at all of that in today's uh, in today's show and then previewing the eight games we've got for Friday. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. We will start, as we always do on these shows, with... Monstrous line of the night. Yes, the monstrous line of the night. We'll get stuck straight into it because it is De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. Fox was huge. He actually embodied the monstrous part of monstrous line of the night as the Kings almost dropped 150 points on the Atlanta Hawks. 31 points for Foxy on the second night of a back-to-back, dealing with a back strain. 10 rebounds, 15 assists. He hit three triples and he had a steal. He was 9 of 13 from the field and 10 of 11 from the free throw line. One of the big issues with the Kings, apart from them being terrible last season, is they never got to the free throw line. But we expected that to increase somewhat this season. I didn't see this coming at all. I've got to give a big shout out to uh, to Matt George of Locked On Kings who came on the podcast um, yeah, to do the season preview and he predicted 31 wings for the Kings. And I was like, mm, that seems a bit high for a team that looked you know, really poor. He was super optimistic and they're looking you know, really, really strong at the moment. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Fox is a top 50 player so far this season. What's he doing extra? Well, the usage hasn't changed that much. It's gone from 23 to 24 and a half. So it's not a big bump there, but it's the efficiency. And there is room for this to really decrease. He had a true shooting of 48% last season. He's up to 58 this year because his two-pointers have gone from 44 to 55. That's all it is. The three-pointers are exactly the same, 30, 30% from three. That's it. But it's the two-point percentage, which is going to regress. 55% is too high. It is going to come down there. You're looking at probably high 40s, maybe around 50. So there is going to be some regression there. He still also isn't shooting that well from the line, only 68%. But he is getting there seven times per game as opposed to 2.7 last year. Now, I don't have him getting there... You know, seven times per game this season. That's not my projection, but I did have a significant increase. We could see that. It's one of those things you pick up in summer league and go, shit, he is super aggressive at getting to the rim. So when we did his projection, well, you're pretty interested in that. I'd like that free throw percentage to rise because at the moment, it is actually a pretty significant negative. And if we took that away, he'd be like a top 30 type of a player. Um, but I, I'm expecting that to increase. I'm expecting the field goal percentage to go down. The other thing that's increased significantly is his assist rate up from 5.7 per 36 all the way up to 8.6, a guy who wasn't a high assist player in college. So we'll see whether that can actually stick this high assist rate, but it's been really, really strong to start the season. Still not hitting threes, only 0.8 per game, still struggling with the free throws, but a significant increase in his assist rate, a significant increase in his two-point shooting, which has led to Fox being a real breakout at this early portion of the season. Goes without saying that he shouldn't be on any waiver wire. Someone tweeted at me that someone just added him off waivers today which is absolutely ludicrous. He is a clear top uh, 50, sorry, try again. He is a clear top 100 player for this season, probably a clear top 80 guy, maybe a clear top uh, top 50 player, but big minutes, big production, and a big triple-double for De'Aaron Fox in uh, in today's today's game. Waiver wire line of the night. 
the waiver wire line of the night goes to Juancho Hernan Gomez of the Denver Nuggets. Juancho came off the bench and was uh, was very impressive. And I do believe that those stats that are up on the screen there are are not not exactly correct for Juancho. The twenty three points are correct. He did uh, he did have that, but I don't think he had the ten rebounds. Let's double check that. No, he only had four rebounds. So twenty three and four with five triple zero assists, one steal, and two blocks. For Wancho Hernan Gomez, he was 6 of 10 from the field and 6 of 7 from the line. He'd been out of the rotation the previous two games. Came in with Tory Craig again, starting but struggling. It wasn't Malik Beasley's night against the Cavs, and Wancho came in and really caught fire. Hey, look, I still like Wancho. I like him as a long-term prospect. But with Will Barton out, it's going to be Lyles, it's going to be Wancho, and it's going to be uh, Craig, it's going to be Malik Beasley. And no one's really going to establish themselves as a 12-team league player. Now, Wancho's got uh, only only on 1% of Yahoo rosters. So he, of course, is your deep leaguer of the night as well. Corrected his stats on that graphic. Uh, so he obviously is, you know, got some value there in those 20 team formats. But again, we have to remember he was not even in the rotation for the previous two games as Beasley was getting 30 minutes per night. And it's going to be one of those situations where they go back and forth depending on how Michael Malone is feeling on that day, which guy is getting, getting it going. And I don't have a real issue with that with Malone at all because these aren't your know, guys who they need to necessarily, they're all young players, Beasley and Hernan Gomez and Craig. They're all in their first two or three seasons. In the NBA, Trey Lyles as well in his fourth season. So just depending on who's got it going and who's going well that day, it's fine to make that decision. The Nuggets are seven and one. So uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez is your waiver wire line of the night and he is your deep leaguer of the night. And of course, your young gun of the night is back to De'Aaron Fox. So the nightly awards are done pretty smoothly. If you guys want to hear your business advertised on this podcast right here in this space, all you need to... Well, you should. You should should really look into doing it because podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsor that they hear on their favorite podcast. And I'm sure this is your favorite podcast you're listening to now. 98% male is our demographic and we are higher earning and higher educated than your traditional media audience. So get your sponsor, your company, to sponsor this podcast by emailing me redrockfantasybasketball at gmail.com. Another quicker announcement again, you can see freshly shaven, just trying to grow that mustache and it's going to take a few days for that to really uh, really start to kick in for you guys to enjoy it. But if you do want to sponsor me as I'm doing Movember raising funds and awareness for men's mental health, prostate cancer and testicular cancer, go ahead and uh, go to mobro.co slash redrockbeeble and you can leave a donation. Thank you to everyone who has done that so far. Let's go to the dud of the night. And once again, it is Dario Saric of the Philadelphia 76ers. Five points, one three, three rebounds and two assists for Saric. One of eight from the field and two of two from the free throw line. He has been really, really poor. Talked a lot about him in the preseason. I thought he was getting overdrafted. His end to last season was really bad. He has started off the same way. But in saying that, he is the 193rd ranked player so far this season. And there will be improvements because all you have to do is look at the fact that he's shooting 33% from the field and 24% from three. He hit 39% from three last season. So we can expect these numbers to improve. But I just don't know if the ceiling's actually high enough for Saric to become a guy, especially say for 10 team leagues, I don't think we should be labeling him as a must roster player in uh, in those type of leagues. 12 team leagues, it's a, it's a tougher story. And 
always we we have to pay attention to you know, how how we're looking at it in terms of who are you adding off the wire if you are considering dropping him. And I do think it's a legitimate conversation that you have. What is his actual upside? The seventy fourth ranked guy last year, averaging fourteen and six and a half. But Markel Fultz is cutting into that playing time. Baby Nick Wilson Chandler is going to be around now. Mike Muscala providing another option that they didn't necessarily have off the bench until Ursan Ilyasova arrived. And remember. When Ursan Ilyasova arrived, Sharich was like a top 140 guy. And is that what we have when Chandler comes back? Well, he's not even at that level now. So it is a possibility, but there will be a considerable improvement in his shooting. He won't continue to be this absolutely abominable 44% true shooting. That will definitely improve for Sharich as the season goes on. But will he be able to have a high enough ceiling that holding him now and missing out on someone who might be useful is a, is a worthy worthy decision? Now, in some of your leagues, Nemanja Bielitsa might be available. He shouldn't be, but there are going to be some where he's available. I'd make that switch Bielitsa for Sharich, no problem at all. I have him sort of, you know, Sharich and Jalen Brown are two of those guys I mean, who get really overrated by people, and I just don't see them as being top 100 type of guys for this season. So if you, you'd want to move on from that, I think you could make that hard hard decision, especially if you maybe started off a bit shaky, you're in desperate need of some wins. Maybe that's a move that you can make to go and uh, and you know, try and right the ship, but he will turn it around. But will he turn it around to be good enough to actually be useful? That's where my uh, my significant levels of doubt come in with Dario Saric. The plus-minus goats of the day, the best net rating went to Jake the Snake Lehman of the Portland Trailblazers. Started off hot with a couple of uh, nice buckets, plus 77 on the day, while the worst plus-minus or worst net rating was Kyle Korver of the Cleveland Cavaliers, negative 110.9 as they got their asses kicked by the Denver Nuggets pretty comprehensively. Lehman is starting for Mo Harkless, but he plays like the 12 to 15 minute role. You have Caleb Swanigan playing more. Evan Turner comes in. Seth Seth Curry, Sauce Castillo, all those guys there. So Lehman had an okay night, but really not much to pay attention to. And look, maybe he is out of the rotation when Harkless returns. I think that's it's either going to be him or Swanigan. Maybe it's Swanigan. Um, but yeah, Lehman's not really going to be too much of a fantasy contributor. But at least he did some positive things tonight for the Blazers in their victory over the Pelicans. The injury report, a couple of things coming out of the heat. Uh, Goran Dragic has a toe issue and Hassan Whiteside suffered a migraine. Both of these guys missed practice today, so they're questionable for tomorrow's game. It doesn't appear like there's anything long-term with them, but it is worth paying attention that maybe you can stream in Kalielinik or Bam Adebayo if Hassan happens to miss. Tyler Johnson, Dwayne Wade would be your guard stream options if Goran Dragic misses. Jim Harden is unlikely to play tomorrow with his hamstring. He's targeting a return on the weekend. So yeah, thankfully that uh, the Rockets will get their best player back pretty soon. And then the reigning league MVP will be back. So in your fantasy team, we'll pretty, pretty much enjoy Harden coming back there as well. Jalen Brown missed today with foot soreness. Doesn't appear to be a serious issue. Uh, Johnny Simmons is listed uh, as questionable with a wrist injury. For the Magic, if he is out, you look at more uh, Wizawundu, perhaps, more Terry Ross, maybe a little bit more John Isaac, also perhaps a little bit more DJ Augustin, because Simmons does handle the ball sometimes, but he, again, not really much of a fantasy guy. Well, Kevin Huerta got rolled up by Buddy Heald in an incident that if Matthew Dellavedova had done it, he would have probably been assassinated from the stands, or at least assassinated via Twitter. Uh, Heald dived straight into Huerta's leg, rolled up his ankle. He did not return to the game. It doesn't appear to be anything serious. And, for, and look, to be clear, I am not saying that it's a dirty play by Buddy Heald at all. Got no problems with it. But I'm saying if it had have been Dalla doing it, he would have been absolutely killed. Ban him. Kick him out of the NBA. Get rid of him. That would have been the chorus of chants. 
Um, no, absolutely no problem with Heald doing it. Huerta says he's fine, just a regular old sprained ankle. It enabled Jeremy Lin and Tyler Dorsey to get a bit of a, bit, a bigger look, and Lin has looked pretty strong the last two games, so he is definitely someone to pay some attention to if Huerta happens to miss some time with this ankle injury, or even if he doesn't miss some time, because it was uh, it was an interesting uh, performance there from uh, from old Jez. Let's go into these games now and uh, and break them down box score wise. Um, the first one we look at, the Denver Nuggets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's not a lot to talk about here because it was an absolute ass-kicking. The Nuggets limited the minutes of all their guys. A nice performance from Paulie Millsap, 16-6. and six. Jokic scored only four points, which is obviously terrible for your fantasy team. But the Nuggets, they did not need to extend themselves on a back-to-back. Monty Morris, 7-3-3 three three with two steers. I'm pretty sure we're all over him as a 12-team league player, and, and rightfully so. You can move on there. Very little to pay attention to. There's more interesting things happening with the Cavs as Larry Nance Jr. played only 19 minutes, so under 20 minutes for the second consecutive game. He had the most fantasy value on the entire team, but Larry Drew was a guy that frustrated me in Atlanta with his poor decision-makings with rotations. He frustrated me in Milwaukee with his poor decision-making with rotations, and he started doing the same thing already in Cleveland. I don't understand the necessity to play Tristan Thompson 28 minutes, Thompson had 10 and 7 with four assists, you know, decent enough numbers, that's fine, but what is he giving you? Well, Nance had 8, 3 and 1, 3 steals and a block. I do have faith that either Drew won't come to an agreement on a long-term contract and won't be the coach, or they'll say we have to play Nance over Thompson and give him the 25 minutes he needs. But until then, it is it is worrying. I'm not dropping Larry Nance because, again, the production today was actually still pretty good. And for as limited as he's been coming back from the ankle injury to begin this this uh, season, he's still a top 130 player in only 20 minutes, 9-5 and five with 3.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and his field goal percentage is way under what he's done in the past, 49 as opposed to 58 last season. So if that gets going, then he becomes like a... He's per 36 numbers. We're looking at 16 and 9 with 6 assists and 2.6 steals. That's really, really sexy. He's, of course, never getting 36 minutes. All I want is 24 minutes, 25 minutes, and he'll be a clear top 100 guy. So I am still holding Larry Nance. I think that uh, either Larry Drew will come to his senses or someone will give him the tap on the shoulder and say, you've got to play him and stop getting Thompson out there for 28 and 9. It is annoying to see the lower minutes when we thought maybe he could be getting more. And again, I just want to yeah, reiterate this is... Nance was never going to be absorbing all of uh, Kevin Love's minutes at Power 40. He's playing strictly as a center. Someone asked me today whether they should add Larry Nance or Sam Decker or drop Nance for Decker. It is as plain as day to me that it's Nance over Decker that you want. I don't care that one is starting or getting more minutes. The upside for Nance is higher, plus he produces in those limited minutes. So, uh, uh, again, a productive game from Nance. And it was only two games ago that he had 15, 12, and 4 in 22 minutes. Only two games ago. Yet I think we forget that because the new coach and the way he's used him, which is obviously a, a little bit of a concern uh, moving forward. But I'm not I'm not panicking yet. Rocket Rodney Hood, the shooting was never going to stick. One of nine for eight points, but he contributed. Four assists, two steals, one block. Yeah, he's worthy of a 12-team league spot. Colin Sexton, this again, these this is what I talk about, and I don't say these things because I have personal vendettas against people. He is not a great fantasy option. 12, 2, and 2 with a steal. Yeah, low. Low rebound, low assist, not great shooting. He's been okay this season. I'm not sure he's any sort of you know, massive top 50 threat or anything like that. You can you know, compare it to Trey Young or Luka Doncic, these guys who can contribute in multiple categories, where Sexton really does lack that. And some poor decision-making, poor shot-taking, 
as well is going to limit him long term and this season in particular as well for Colin Sexton. So I think he's more of a a back end sort of a guy that you can absolutely have, but you know putting high faith in him is not necessarily the best way to go about it. Chetty Osman struggled, thirteen points on thirteen shots, not much else happening there. Well, Sammy Decker. Six points in 35 minutes for Decker, three of 10 shooting, four rebounds, and three steals. Again, more of a 16-team sort of a guy as he starts in place of Kevin Love. The minutes are obviously encouraging for Chetty. The production, not so much. The Clippers and the Sixers. Montrez Harrell played 15 minutes and had five fouls. Marching Gortat played nine minutes and had four fouls. So the second half was basically all Boban. 23 minutes for Boban Marjanovic. 15 and 11 with one steal and three blocks. That is huge. We know that this guy can produce when he's on the court. The Clippers had no real other option but to go with him, and he was a fantastic portion of this team and their their comeback in that second half. The worry we have with Boban, and it was illustrated last week, is in those games against the Pelicans and against the Rockets, he could play about three minutes before he was played off the court, and that is always the concern. You're not going to have Gortat and Harrell picking up 24 fouls in four minutes like they did in this game. And while you can make that argument that Marjanovic is the better, the best producer out of these guys, and I don't think anyone would argue that with you, it, it is clear. Give them all the same minutes, and Boban definitely puts up the better fantasy production. Nobody doubts that whatsoever. It's can he stay on the court in this three-man center rotation often enough? If you want to take a look at him and get him in a 12-team league, by all means. I just don't see a consistently large enough role for Marjanovic for him to be a consistent producer. There'll be nights like this, and they're bloody great when they happen, but then there'll be the games where he has two and one in four minutes. And you go, well, what's the point of that when that happens three times in a row? You'd all should be aware of Boban's, um, I guess, failings at this point. Toby Harrison, the rooster, 25 and eight for Gallinari. Man, he is killing it. 24 and eight for Harris. They're both playing well. And finally, Lou Williams, um, had a big night, 26 points in 24 minutes, not much else for Lou. The minutes is, okay, there's two things to stand out here. 24 minutes and 26 points is great, but 43% usage. So there are two things there. 43% usage, not going to stick that high. 24 minutes, that's been the general the general playing time that Lou's been getting. And while if, if we're not expecting him to get a 43% usage every night, then Williams isn't going to be able to produce at this sort of a level. So that is that is somewhat of a concern for his overall uh, fantasy production. Not saying that you drop him, but this is a little bit of, a, of an outlier. I'm still hanging on to the table as well. Seven points in his 15 minutes. And Gilgis Alexander played 18 minutes. Disappointing because Patrick Beverly and Avery Bradley played a ton and they weren't good. One of seven for Bradley. One of six, sorry, one of six for Bradley. One of seven for Beverly uh, from the field. Pat Bev had four, four and four with two steals. And Bradley had two, two and one with one steal there. Um, not much else happening. Uh, not much else happening with the Clippers side of things. For the Sixers, Joel Embiid, forty-one and thirteen with four blocks, absolutely huge. Fifty percent on thirty-two shot attempts as well is obviously a massive return from Embiid. The free throws weren't weren't fantastic, but that is a huge performance. It was a great night for our guys that I uh, was interested in in DFS yesterday with uh, the, fo- the the Fox guys, the Kings guys, and Embiid really going off. As did Bob Cub, who is just. An absolute defensive menace at the moment. Covington, 10 and 7, two threes, four steals, three blocks, seven rebounds. Only took five shots, hit four of them. He has been an absolute star. He is the 25th ranked player this season, Robert Covington, averaging 13 and 6 with basically, he's almost doing the Nerlens Noel, 2.2 steals and 1.9 blocks. Actually shooting right now. Slumps are going to come with Covington. We know that. But it's the defensive numbers that really do does buoy his uh, value. His uh, percentage rostered on ESPN was... 
something like 8% or something absolutely stupid. I don't know what's going on if they if that's just another error with uh, with their system or if people are just that, that that dumb and they're leaving him on the wire in all those leagues. Just absolute nonsense. There, Benny Simmons had 14-3 and 11. Redick had 18. And Marco Fultz looked good. 21 minutes for Fultz, 12, 9, and 5. But it's only 21 minutes. And that's the concern. Close games, his minutes are going to be limited as they go to more JJ Rick. Now, he was actually really, really killing it. So everyone who writes him off as a bust, yeah, you do have to realize this guy still has talent. It is going to be a bit of a long process due to that screw-up last season. But he's still got talent. Now, is 21 minutes enough to cut it for 12 team leagues? Probably not. 12, 9, and 5 is nice. The free throws weren't 2 of 4. But that the production's nice. I just don't have faith that it's going to be consistent enough or that the big is going to outweigh the small uh, to be a 12-team league guy. The Moose, Mike Muscala, played 24 minutes because Sharich was sucking. They basically split uh, their minutes 24 apiece at power forward. Muscala wasn't great. He had four points. I'm not saying that he's an ad, but yeah, he's, he's presence there. And again, when Baby Neck returns, it's going to have an impact. I think it's going to have an impact on Sharich, a, a decently significant one as well. The next game, we take a look at the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Charlotte Hornets. Chalk one up for the best bets. Got another one. I say another one as I'm 4-9 and nine on the season. Uh, as the Thunder, who were the underdogs here, got over the line in the end. Westbrook, 28-9, 8-10 with three steals. And Steven Adams, only five points for Steve-O, uh, but three or four from the line. Three steals and three blocks. Not a guy that's known as a big defensive stats guy, but he is averaging almost two steals per game this season and 1.3 blocks. Last year, he was at 1.2 and 1. The year before, 1.1 and 1. So I think to some degree, we can expect the steals to drop. He's also rebounding like crazy, 12 boards per game. It's the free throws that are the worry. 53% on five attempts per game. You're one of the worst free throw percentage guys in the entire NBA. I probably should have a look to see who is the worst uh, free throw percentage guy, not in terms of uh, percentage, but in terms of actual you know, volume and the, the impact it has on your fantasy league at this point. Let's uh, have a quick look to see who that player is with the worst free throw. It is actually Stephen Adams as number one. Number two is Russell Westbrook. Three, Whiteside. Four, Capella. Corley Stein is uh, rounds out the top five of, of worst free throw percentage impact guys. And uh, I guess some of that is because um, uh, Dwight Howard hasn't played yet. Terry Ferguson played 18 minutes and had one rebound and one assist. I posed this question on Twitter yesterday. Who is the worst rotation player in the NBA? A lot of people said Terrence Ferguson. I think it's Jamal Crawford personally, but there are some really good answers. There's a lot of players who get minutes who probably shouldn't be. And I think Ferguson's one of those. Alex Abrines, I've liked Abrines for a while. It disappointed me that he's never been able to find sort of a consistent rhythm here in Oklahoma City. He was great, 25 points with five triples and played 30 minutes. I don't have really much faith that that sort of level of shooting, those amount of shots or that level of playing time is going to hold, but he's probably a better option than Terry Ferguson, than MC Hamadou Diallo, and he'd be worth looking at in those deeper formats. While Schroeder got back to 30 minutes, 21-3 and 5, terrible percentages, but the minutes are more encouraging. I still don't think that he is a must-roster 12-team league player. Well, if you did grab Nerlens Noel, surely you've moved on now. Two sub-10-minute games in a row. Nine minutes here, four and two. We saw Jeremy Grant and Patrick Patterson playing uh, on the court without Adams or Noel as well, so going small. So it's not even that he's getting all of the backup minutes behind Steve Adams. Grant had played 25 minutes. Pat Patterson played only seven minutes. The Thunder did go quite small at times in this game. Uh, Grant and Patterson are not your 12-team league guys. Onto the Hornets. Kimball Walker had one shot attempt in the first half. Missed it. And then ended with 21 points on 16 attempts. So you look at that overall line, you go, yeah, that's all right. It's a pretty standard Kemba game. Not the best, but yeah, pretty good. 21, 5, and 6. And then you realize at halftime he hadn't hit a single shot. 
and taken one shot attempt, you go, oh, well, that's it's interesting. And a lot of people will tweet questions at me. They'll tweet them at Matt. They'll tweet them at other fantasy people after a quarter of a game because someone's missed their first five shots. Oh, my God, do I drop Jamal Murray? He's missed his first five. And then by the end of the night, he's gone 21 points on, you know, uh, 10 of 15 shootings. He missed his first five and hit his next 10. Yeah, having those early reactions because someone's missed their first three shots is, is pretty crazy. And while you'd never drop Kemba, but it, that's the sort of you know, illustration of, of what can happen in those situations. So just you know, after a half or a quarter, don't be like, oh man, I've got to drop this guy. He's struggling. It's the first half and he's done this and this and this. Well, you've got another you know, 24 minutes of, of game action to go. Maybe things turn around. Batum had been struggling in the assist numbers, got him back here, 10, 7, and 6, while Malik Monk and Jez Lamb split those shooting guard minutes. 23 to Monk, he had 21 points. Jez Lamb had 13 and 9. They're going to just keep cannibalizing each other's minutes, I believe. Monk is the higher upside guy. I would have Monk over Lamb in 12-team formats, but it looks like it's going to be an irritating thing all season. While Tony Parker getting a lot of minutes next to Kemba as well. 23 minutes, 17 with 4 assists. It's two strong games from Parker in a row. I'm not adding him in 12-team leagues yet. But I'm definitely watching him because that's two strong games in a row and the minutes are pushing up. Marvin Williams is terrible. Uh, four points in 18 minutes. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist getting those minutes, pushing Nick Batum, Nick Batum up to the four as well as we use Lamb and Monk and Bridges and these sort of guys who Miles Bridges had 19 minutes. Probably probably not going to be a 12-team league guy this season, old Miles. The next game we look at is the Kings and the Hawks, 146-115. That is an absolute spanking. Now, the Hawks' defense is piss poor. We know that. But the Kings, man, they are running fast. They are playing well. And Budrick Heald looks excellent, 27-5-6 with two steals and a block. He hit five triples. Now, if you heard many of the, the preseason podcasts, I, Buddy Heald is one of those guys who, in my projections, came out projected at like 56. I think he came out projected higher than uh, CJ McCollum and maybe, I'm not sure about this one, maybe even higher than Clay Thompson, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I didn't even expect this though. I thought they'd push his minutes up to 30. I got a bit worried in the preseason when they were limiting him and, and coming off the bench. I thought, this is bullshit. Like, what's going on here? He is currently the 38th ranked player in 32 minutes a night, 20.6 rebounds, three assists, Half a steal, 0.7 blocks. And last year, one of the big reasons his value jumped up is his steal rate almost doubled. It's regressed back to rookie season numbers. So if that gets back to last year, then we're talking about huge numbers. He is shooting 49% from three and 55% from two. So there is an element of regression there, especially on the two-point shooting, which is 10 percentage points higher than last season. But the other encouraging thing for Bud is he's gone from one free throw attempt per game to 2.4. Now, 2.4 is not a lot, but when you're shooting an excellent percentage, if you're more than doubling your free throw attempts, that is a huge bump into your value. And I think he's a pretty consistent top 100 guy. Not sure he 100% sticks at this current level, but it's it's a possibility. There's nothing there that looks completely outrageous. The percentages will likely drop, but I think the I think that the steal rate will come back up and that might keep him in that top 50 sort of zone. I had him projected high, but I, I, I can't lie. I I didn't expect this. I wasn't expecting this level of production for Hilton. I was always like, uh, yeah, he's come out this high, but do I fully buy into it? Do I think that this is going to happen? I, I have a level of confidence, but it's low. And now I look like I went under on Hilton. He's been absolutely fantastic for this Kings team. Bielitsa had foul trouble, 24 minutes, 19-2-3 with two steals. This guy just continues to put up numbers. And as long as the Kings are playing well and and beating teams, he's going to be getting minutes over Marvin Bagley. But Bagley played well too, 24 minutes, 18 and 5. Bagley does have yeah, not as good a game fantasy-wise uh, as opposed to Bielitsa. Poor efficiency, poor free throws, lack of steals and blocks. But he is still yeah, a top 120 guy, 118th at the moment, averaging 13 and 7. A block, 
a steal, 0.63s, and shooting quite well, 55 from the field uh, and 56 from three. So there's a huge element of regression coming from uh, from Bagley in that shooting and 61% from the line. So he's okay as a 12-team league guy, but as long as the team plays like this, he's going to be stuck in those low 20 minutes. And when the shooting regresses, then a fair bit of that value is going to chip away are going to chip away from what uh, what Bagley does. But yeah, another he, it, it, it's frustrating watching him because he just refuses to use that right hand. Um, but he hits some nice mid-range twos. He, he's bouncy, he's super athletic. He's fun to watch in that regard. And yeah, it, 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 he could take over this starting job at some point, but with the way that Bealitz is playing, it's not going to be any time soon. Cauley Stein, 12-6, and six, not his greatest game, but still pretty solid. What you mind, Shumpert returned to the lineup, 8-4-3 and three with a steal and a block, replacing... Uh, another popular answer for worst rotation player in the NBA, Justin Jackson, who had six points in 23 minutes. Onto the Hawks, very little to get out of this except Dwayne Dedman, uh, foul trouble, five fouls in 12 minutes, six and four, while Alex Len played 22 and had 11 and six. It's going to be a frustrating scenario, I think, between these guys all season long. Dedman is still the guy that I prefer, but you know, the last two games haven't been great for him. If I've got him in a 12-team, I'd probably still hold, but he is likely your worst guy. And yeah, what's his upside? Maybe it is top 100, top 90, but Alex Len being there does have a limit. Torian Prince passed well. You look at, ignore the points column, and seven rebounds, six assists, and two steals is nice, but seven points on 12 shots, he has just absolutely murdered your field goal percentage. This happened through January last season where he couldn't hit shit, and then he was a top 30 player from uh, March onwards. This is going to revert. He will not continue to shoot this poorly, but he still looks good out there. He's playing d- defensively well. He is passing well. This team is not playing well in general. And despite being as bad as he is shooting-wise, he is still the 60th-ranked player, shooting 38% from the field. It helps that he's at 96% from the free-throw line. He's averaging 15 points in 29 minutes with one and a half steals over three assists. So the numbers are there, and we're really talking uh, about him coming in and, and pushing up to that top 35, top 40 when those shooting numbers come around. So the level of patience, again, people have said, oh, do I drop Torian Prince? Like, no, what, what? No, you don't drop him. You don't drop him at all. He's still playing. He's still putting up numbers, and the field goal percentage is hurting you. I know that. But you you just you stick with him and you gotta you just keep going because the, the, he's playing okay. The shots just not falling. Fourteen three and ten for Trey Young. Well, DeAndre Bembry got got it going offensively. Thirteen five and two, and he is a strong 14, 16 team league player. Uh, mentioned Jeremy Lin earlier. Twenty three points in twenty three minutes. A steal, a block, a rebound, and assist. Sixty two percent shooting. But that is two big games in a row from Lin. I'm not adding him in twelves yet, but I am definitely watching him. And if he sticks at twenty four to twenty five minutes in the next game then the intrigue comes. Because that's what I thought he'd get. And then he was down getting eight minutes, nine minutes, 11 minutes. Oh, they're just not going to use him. They're going to use Bembry as that backup point guard. They're going to get the young guys in there. But Lynn looks more comfortable now. And it is absolutely something that you should be paying some level of attention to in your uh, in your leagues, on your wire. The Bucks and the Celtics, Yanni, 33 and 11 with three steals. Another strong performance from Kumpo, but still no threes. Still really bad from the free throw line. And when... And I, you know, I tweet this out and people go, man, why haven't you got Giannis in the top 10? This is ridiculous. How can you have him rank this poorly? It's because he's a negative in threes and he's a negative in free throws. He's the 17th ranked player on the season. He's averaging 26 and 14 with five assists, which are great. One and a half blocks, one steal. Pretty good. The steal you'd hope would be better. But the free throws are bad. The lack of threes are, are really a limiting factor in what he can do. And that is why he is currently the 17th ranked player. I think he will get better. I think the steal rate will go up. 
but he's not going to, I don't think he's ever going to hit threes. That's just, just what it feels like. He's just never going to hit them. And the free throws are always going to be a consistent issue for uh, for Yanni Adetokounmpo. Brogdon had 16 and 6 in 29 minutes. He does put up good numbers against the uh, against the Boston Celtics while Chrissy Middleton was strong. A, a lot of uh, Eric Bledsoe panic. Oh, man, what do I do with Bledsoe? Do I drop him? No. 13 points, 7 assists, 33 minutes. It just wasn't a good night. 3 of 9 from the field, 6 of 9 from the line. Plenty of players struggle against the Celtics. He's the 50th ranked player in only 28 minutes per night. You know, some of that is blowout related. He's gone under double digits in scoring twice. He's still putting up pretty strong numbers. And the one thing that is really holding him back is last year he averaged two steals per game. He's at 0.9. You bring that back up and then you're a top 35 guy already. 13, 4, and 7 is what he's averaging in 28 minutes. The usage is down. I guess that's an element of concern because he's still shooting okay. The usage maybe is something you do have an issue with, but it's assists, rebounds, steals, hitting threes, doing it efficiently. That's what brings it for Bledsoe. And while he may not get to that top 20 level he was over the last three months of last season, I think he's going to step back up. And I think those steal numbers will come in for Bledsoe and the minutes will uh, will right themselves pretty quickly. Big ragu, uh, Dante DiVincenzo had eight points in 24 minutes. While uh, Brookie Lopez, yeah, not great from Brook, two and five with two blocks, where Ilya Serva had eight and five. Lopez is going to have better games than this. He's going to have games similar to this. He's probably a 10th, 11th man on a 12-team roster. Maybe he's your worst player. Um, I still think in majority of cases, he should be rostered. It doesn't mean that, that he should be in all of them. But in majority of cases, I do think that, uh, that Lopez is that guy, the 105th ranked player so far, the threes, the blocks, uh, and he hasn't missed a free throw all season as well. For the Celtics, the Kyrie Irving um, panickers should be assuaged a bit here. 28 points, 6 threes, 7 assists, 2 blocks. He looked really good. Well, Gordon Haywood showed us that he is good. He's still good. It's going to take time, but he's good. 18, 4, and 5, 27 minutes. The minutes are encouraging. The production's encouraging. I think that December onwards, we're going to have a top 60 player for Haywood. So if you can get him, if someone drops him, if you can get him in a buy low, you do it. It's going to take time, but I feel more confident after today. Al Horford plays well against the Bucs. He did it again, 18-5-8. and eight, While Marcus Morris had 17-5 and five with a steal and a block with five triples. He continues to play really well. The minutes were lower. I thought they'd be higher with Jalen Brown out. The shooting is going to fall off with Marcus Morris. Don't worry about that. He's fine as a 12-team streamer. Speaking of shooting, Jason Tatum. One of the things that surprised us last year, and I made that bet that if he shot 50% from three, I'd uh, shave my beard live on the podcast. Turns out I've done that. Already, uh, not because he can, he shot five, uh, 50% from three, but he wasn't that good a shooter at Duke. And so much of what he was doing felt really unsustainable. Now, he had a big dip in the middle of the season, came on strong at the end, but he's starting off this season ice cold. 41% for Tatum from the field, 32% from three after being 48 and 43 from the field and from three respectively last season. He's still averaging 16 and eight, no steals, uh, low blocks, and these were always the concerns I had for him for Duke when I looked at his college numbers, and it didn't translate brilliantly as a fantasy guy, just average numbers right across the board, nothing nothing that stood out as being great. He's the 94th ranked guy this season. I thought it was a real stretch to grab him in the 40s where his ADP was, but I do think that this is going to correct itself. I'm, I don't think it's going to go back to 43% from three last season, but he is struggling a little bit this season with those uh, those efficiency uh, type numbers, and, and it happened again today: twelve and six on nine shots with four assists. Terry Rozier seven and seven with Jalen Brown out, still couldn't make an impact. Please get rid of him in twelve team leagues if you have him. While Marcus Smart has been an absolute disaster this season: two and four in twenty eight. Shemi Ojale started 
for uh, for Jalen. He barely played all season, so I don't think we need to pay too much attention to Chemi. Not Chemi, Shemi. The next game we look at is the thing uh, up there. Perhaps. Yep, that was the wrong. Uh, apologies for that. The um, what game are we looking at now? The uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. We've done that one, so now we're looking at the uh, the next game of the night, which is this one, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, no Anthony Davis. He was doubtful, and then he was called a game-time decision. Then he was warming up, and uh, he didn't play. Julius Randle took full advantage. 26 minutes, 29-6, and six, coming off the bench behind Jaleel Okafor, while Miritich had 18-13 and 13 with two blocks. Miritich's shot wouldn't fall, but the, the production is still nice. While Etwan Moore also took on some of that usage, 19 points, and Holiday had 17-10. and 10. Timmy Frazier started with Alfred Payton out, didn't do anything. Uh, Frank Jackson played 12 minutes, didn't do anything. There, you know, Payton's probably going to be back next game. Very little to see with uh, with Frazier and Jackson. They are not uh, at this point starting, and Frazier never will be uh, starting caliber NBA players. Onto the Blazers, Drew, Drew, Damian Lillard got an element of revenge. It doesn't equal the playoffs, but this is something I talked about quite a bit yesterday. Twenty six seven and six, while Nurkic had twenty and nine in twenty eight minutes, and of course. Nurkic playing 28 minutes means Zach Collins played 17, and the Magic finally wore off. Nine points, one rebound, one assist, and one block. So it's not a terrible line, but this is always the concern. He was never going to maintain top 50 numbers playing 21 minutes a night behind Yusuf Nurkic. He still can have some 12-team league value, but I feel pretty confident that it's not going to stick this season. I think he starts for them next season. I don't think that it necessarily will happen this year. While CJ McCollum's horror start continued eight points in 30 minutes he was, um, I don't know what the right word is, surprisingly not that good last season. It went under the radar a little bit, the drop-off that he had. And he still averaged 21 points, but his legendary efficiency really did dip. And it's gone another further, another step further down. Now, there will be an element of it coming back up. But his two-point numbers, which really had buoyed those figures in 16-17, where he was a 51% and I think 48% long two-shooter, he's down at 42% this season. The threes are still coming in okay, 37%, but his assists are way down. He's getting absolutely no steals. Uh, His production's way off. I was out on him in the draft, not this out. Um, Don't look at him as a top 30 guy and you're buying low as a top 30 guy. I think he's more of a top 60, top 70 type of player. Not a uh, not a top thirty uh, guy. He is really struggling to begin this season. The chief Al Aminu. Sometimes it may be good. Sometimes it may be shit. It was a good game for him. He does well against the Pelicans consistently. Seventeen and ten with two triples. A real fringe twelve team league guy who's just as likely to have two and three in the next game. Um, very little else to talk about. I think. Oh no, let's quickly. Evan Turner, fourteen, seven, and seven in twenty-seven minutes. We've got a pretty decent sample size of him playing without Mo Harkless, and it's not this good every game. An assist streamer for standard leagues is probably all we can expect for Evan Turner at uh, at this point. Let's transition now into DFS, starting with the DraftKings perfect lineup of the night. De'Aaron Fox, 72.5. Budrick Heald, 49.25. I told you I was massive on those guys, and our projections love them. It worked out pretty nicely. Nikola Mirotic, 46.25, and Wancho had 35.5. Embiid also was in a great spot, and he delivered with 68.75. Kyrie, 50.25. Evan Turner, 34.25, and Boban. The Boban and Wancho combination, 38.25 for a total of 395 points, and that costs $49,700. Let's have a look at the FanDuel perfect lineup. 
Fox had 65.5, Kyrie 49.1, Schroeder 33.1, Budrick 48, Covington 41.4, Wancho 34.8, Marcus Morris 28.5, The Chief had 32, and Joel Embiid had 68.1 for a total of 400.5, and that cost $59,700 dues. Let's get on to the games. We've got eight of them to talk about. We're going to be focusing more on FanDuel today. The first one of those is the Clippers taking on the Orlando Magic. The Clippers on a back-to-back. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites, and the total is 216.5. It's a close spread. Can the Magic actually score enough to keep it at this uh, at this level? That, of course, remains to be seen. Let's talk point guards. Jaron Grant, DJ Augustine. I don't think we look at either of those guys as interesting options, nor Patrick Beverly or even Shea Gilgis-Alexander. 4,300 for Shea. I always look at it and get marginally excited. Beverly has that steals potential, but I think the point guards in this game are probably fadeable. Evan Fournier is at 5,700, really struggling. 18-point average over the last three. That makes him a good contrarian tournament guy. The roster percentage will be pretty low for Fournier, so I would throw him into a tournament. Someone's going to score, and I think he's got that ability to. Terry Ross went off last game. That means I'd fade him here. I don't think that's consistently going to happen. Although, if John Simmons is out, maybe that helps Ross in that regard. And 4,500, he can get that 25 points. It's not a, not a big ask. Avery Bradley and Lou Williams. Well, Lou played well today, had 29 points, but at 5,300, he only marginally broke value. And that was on that, again, 43% usage. Probably unrealistic to expect it to continue. Johnny Isaac at 5,500 has really been struggling. He's always a tournament consideration, especially with Simmons potentially missing just because of the steals and blocks upside. He can get you three steals and three blocks, which is, by my rudimentary maths, 18 points right off the bat. Uh, and that's you know, that's something that he can do, and that can push him to 35, 40 points on a weird type of performance. So I'd pay some attention. While the Rooster, up to $7,000 for Danilo Gallinari, he's giving you 30-odd uh, pretty much every night. I don't think there's much that's wrong with using him. Power forward, Toby Harris, 7,700, just rock-solid consistency. Like him for cash, like him for tournaments. As Gordon at 79, had a 45-pointer last time out. Uh, as I, I would take Toby over him, but I could just as easily see a 35-point performance coming from Gordon. I just don't have as much faith in his floor. 5,700 for the table is too expensive. And then you've got Vucevic at center, 8,900. The minutes have been a bit down for Vuce. The production's been fine, still getting you 40 points per game. Um, 8,900 might be a little high. Boban at 36 is a great tournament play because if they decide to ride him like they did today, then there is going to be some pretty big numbers come out. While Mohamed Bamba at 4,700, big game last time, 33 points in that one. I think he's worth looking at at 4,700. I think he can use him in cash. Um, the blocks have been fairly consistent from Bamba, and that's something that, you know, three points on Fangel for each block is a pretty good base at that $4,700 price point. Over on DraftKings, not much massively stands out here. You got Bumber at four thousand, which is which is okay. Uh, Isaac at forty four, the same, and Fournier at fifty five. There's there's a bit of value there. Bumber's probably the m- more attractive. Toby Harris at seventy three. There's more value in other areas, but that that's strong again, better than Aaron Gordon at seventy two and Vooch at eighty six. I think there are better ways to go about it. The sixty five for the Rooster is uh, is strong though. Over on DraftKings as well. The next game, the Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets. No Jim Harden. The Rockets are favored by two and a half, and the total is 215.5. Can they get back on track on the road here against the uh, against the Brooklyn Nets? Um, injury-wise, Jim Ennis is likely to be back with that hamstring issue. He is listed as probable. 
Point guards, Chris Paul, 9,100. I like Chris Paul here. This should be a 45-point type experience for him against the Brooklyn Nets, assuming that Harden doesn't do a miraculous recovery and play. While D'Angelo at 68, it wasn't a D'Angelo-Russell game last game. It was Spencer Dinwiddie. That likely means that Russell's going to get a bigger opportunity here. So I'd be really interested in throwing him into a tournament at that depressed price. While Dinwiddie at 5,600 had a big one last game, 34 uh, 34 points in 32 minutes. Consistency is his problem. Minutes consistency is also the problem. So I don't think I'd be interested there. Carter Williams, no way. Shooting guard, the blue swimmer, Alan Crabb is bad. So no. Joe Harris at 4,500. Yeah, there's some tournament upside, but there are better guys around. Well, Levert at 7,100. 40 points last time out for Karras against, um, who was it against? I can't remember who the Nets played last time out. Uh, 7100 for Karras is, uh, is is a strong price, and I feel that that's, there's some cash value there. While Eric Gordon has been a disaster, I do think his roster percentage will be low. And if the shots actually fall, which, again, they're really struggling, if they fall, then he gets you 35 pretty comfortably. So that makes him a, a strong GPP guy. For the small forwards, Mallow at 6,200. Stunk it up last time, but the two prior games without Harden had been strong. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't mind using him, although there are better guys around. Gerald Green, Jim Ennis, Jared Dudley, probably not with any of them. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, it's been a struggle so far this season. He is at $5,400. Tournament, I like the fact that the salaries come down that much on Fangio, down to 5,400. So I think that it's in a good matchup for him. He could get uh, lucky, maybe you know, force some turnovers of some some uh, Chris Paul passes. Although Paul's are pretty you know, good at controlling the ball and not turning it over. Um, yeah, strong rebounding numbers maybe coming his way. The ease is is decent for Rondé, so that's why I look at him as a GPP player. PJ Tucker's been okay. He's been, actually, he's been better than okay. He's been pretty good. Fifty five hundred for Peach. Not not super interested though. I think the upside's limited. I like Capella at eighty four hundred. Um, Jarrett Allen's been giving away some pretty big numbers to opposing centers. Capella's just been giving you a steady 37-38 per night, which isn't quite where you needed at 84, but I think the Nets can boost it to 45 here. While Jarrett Allen comes in at 6,500, he has struggled with fouls. The production hasn't been there. That's uh, one that I'm not all that intrigued with. On DraftKings, Allen, though, at 5,100 is much better, and I'm in on him there. Hollis Jefferson, the same tournaments at 49. D'Angelo, Capella. Dinwiddie at 5,000. I think there is some value in him at 5,000 on DraftKings, especially with the, the scoring system over there. Well, Levert at 66, not as interested in him on DraftKings as I am on Fangio. And the same goes for Chris Paul at 9,400. I just think that might be a little bit too overpriced on the old, uh, on the old DK. Let's go on to the next game. We're looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are favored by three, and the total is 231.5. The Wizards are favorite. The the, uh, the Thunder are on a back-to-back. The Wizards are struggling. Dwight Howard is going to return. Markeith Morris escaped serious damage. He's back from his concussion as well. Johnny Walls at 9,400. Averages 46 Fangio points the last three times against the Thunder. I'd be looking at a, at a 50-type burger here for Wall. I wouldn't be surprised if he came out and had 13, 14 assists in this game. Um, the other interesting one here is Bradley Beal. In 10 games versus the Thunder, he averages 5.5 points above his career average, an extra two rebounds with a true shooting of 5% higher. Thank you to Terry Stott over at Player Line Pro for those numbers. Um, so that's I, I like Beal here at 8,200 as well. Both Wall and Beal are strong to me. Westbrook's at 11.7. That's really strong in cash. He's giving you big numbers every single night, especially for DFS. Shooting guards, you've got Dennis Schroeder at 5,100, who had a good game today. Can he back it up again? I'd only want to try it in tournaments. I mentioned Beal already, and the other shooting guards aren't really worth it. Abrines had a strong game today, but you know, can he do it again? 
Probably not. Small forwards, Otto Porter, 6,000. An excellent record for Otto against the Thunder, but this is a different Otto Porter this season. How is Dwight Howard going to impact his already low usage? 6,000 for Otto would be really only for tournaments, and even then, not keen. Well, 4,300 for Ubre. He's been giving you, you know, 27 a night, which is great, but does Howard returning limit how much that he actually plays? I think it does. And that would render him not as good of an option as what he's been previously. Paulie George is dealing with an issue in his foot, a um, a dead a dead nerve or something in his foot. He's going to play through it, but that is that is something that is bothering him at the moment. Wish I had the exact phrasing in front of me. Uh, he is going to play through it, but he's dealing with his foot issues, still putting up killer numbers. Ninety eight hundred uh, price point, forty five average over the last three. Probably some better options out there, but I love the matchup for George, and he's just consistently giving you forty forty five plus. Most nights at power forward, Mark Keefe's at 5,200. Really you know, hesitant to see how he fits with Dwight, so I'll leave that alone. Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson, no. Centers, 6,200 for Dwight. It's appealing, but probably not in his first game back. I just think the minutes might be uh, limited. He could come out and have a 15 and 15, though, and, and smash through that. I'll leave him alone, though. Steven Adams at 7,500. You, you worry a bit about Adams, who is beasting on the boards. Will Dwight impact that? I think there is a level of impact in 7,500 is a big salary. And, of course, Mahinmi and Noel aren't uh, aren't getting it done. On DraftKings, I love Wall and Beal again, 81 and 7,000, respectively. Westbrook at 10-9. These are all great cash plays on DraftKings. Jeremy Grant at 4,000 is a tournament upside guy. I don't like him really on Fangio, but I do like him over on DraftKings. And Otto Porter... Again, it's appealing, as is Dwight at 5,200, but how are they going to work together? Can they get those numbers? There's nothing wrong with using them, especially splitting them in in tournaments, Dwight in one, Porter in the other. Um, And they could very easily both, they could both get value as well because they are pretty low. I just, there is an an element of concern that I have with both of those guys um, with Howard rejoining the lineup. The next game we look at is the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls. The Pacers are favored by seven and the total is 215. The Bulls front court, the whole defense is disgusting. So DeMontis Sabonis is going to have a massive opportunity to put up some big numbers here. Uh, over on Fangio, point guards, Daz Collison's at 5,300. He really fell back to earth last game. I imagine that will stick. Corey Joseph, Archer Jackano, Cameron Payne. I don't really see any love in any of those guys. Maybe Archer Jackano at 3,800, who is averaging a weird 23 points over the last three. Upside's limited. Floor's low. Generally, I avoid that. Victor Oladipo is ill. He's at $9,000. He's killed the Bulls the last three times, averaging 49 points. He's not quite at that same level, but this defense is atrocious. That could make a blowout, so that limits Oladipo's cash reliability. But I do think that in tournaments, you, know, you could have a 55er coming here from Oladipo. Pretty comfortably. I'm not super in on him, though. Levine at 8,300. I keep saying it's going to drop off, and it never seems to drop off, even if the efficiency is coming down. 8,300, coming off 49 points last time out against the Denver Nuggets. He's giving you 40 most nights. I think that he is... I think he's worth using here as a relatively safe floor guy. Small forwards, Jabari's at 6,900. Giggity! He was terrible last game. Will he start again at power forward? I'm not sure. I'm not willing to uh, risk him, though. Well, Tyreek at 52 has also been a disaster this season. DeMonta Sabonis at 6,000, a power forward. You have to get on that. Bulls, big men against the Bulls tend to put up huge numbers. So he is just giving you, averaging 31 over the last five Sabonis. Really, really like him here. This is a strong, strong opportunity. Well, Thaddeus Young, 
Dropped 51 last game. He's at 6,100. I'm not certain that that is replicable with all his defensive numbers that came in that game, but it is, again, a big big man uh, paradise here going up against Chicago, so that could help Thad. The Block Panther, Wendell Carter Jr. is up to 7,200. 59 last game against the Nuggets, averaging 33 over the last five. I think 7-2 might be a bit high. Uh, tournaments, yeah, and you can obviously beat that. He almost dropped to 60 on the Nuggets. Just just not sure that it's a safe play. Miles Turner, I'm no way. And Chris Felicia, I'm just not... I, mean, I say that for Miles Turner, and then you know, bigs are going to feast. He's just not the feasting type, and 6,000 is still too highly priced for Turner. On DraftKings, the Block Panther, this is great. Wendell Carter at 5,000. I love that. That is that is great for cash. Jabari and Justin Holiday, I think, are some tournament options, and Oladipo at 8,7. It comes into play as a relatively solid floor cash guy. I love Levine at 7,600 as well over on DraftKings. Let's go through to the next one. We've got the New York Knicks and the Dallas Mavericks. DeAndre Jordan has played 17 games against the Knicks, and he is averaging an extra 2.5 points per game and weirdly a 7% increase in his true shooting, and that is before he learned how to hit free throws. So that's that's worth mentioning as well. Plus, big men against the Knicks have had some pretty significant success this season. The Mavericks are favored by 6, and the total is 217 points. There's a lot to like, I think, in uh, in this game in terms of uh, value. Point guards, Dennis Smith Jr. is at 6,500. Really shit the bed last game. Only 11 points in that one FanDuel points. I think he will bounce back, and I do like him at 6,500. Nilakina also bad last game. 5,300 is maybe a marginal overpay in FanDuel, and there are better guys around, but it's far from a disgusting option. JJ Barea stepped up with uh, Smith struggling last game, but I don't have faith in that. Luka Doncic, 8,100. He's a shooting guard. On Fangio, I feel good about a 40 here from, from Donch. Well, Timmy Hardaway at 76 is also a very, very good cash play. Say you don't want to pay up for Oladipo or you don't want to pay up for Levine. Yeah, Hardaway has been killing it pretty much every night. Damo Dotson, Wes Matthews in that 5,000 range, 53 for Dotto, 57 for Wes Matthews. Wes has played well most games or at least produced well most games, but it still doesn't translate to great fantasy point production. So I'm not super interested in either of those guys outside of your flyer type scenarios. And power forward, Noah Vonley, 5,700. I like it. I think it's really strong for cash. He's going to put up numbers. Uh, Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, probably not. Center, love DeAndre Jordan, 8,600. Let's get a 40-burger going. I think he should be able to exceed that here. Really like DeAndre. Well, Ennis Cantor and Mitchell Robinson, 6,800 for Cantor. That is a strong, strong fade. Well, 42 for Mitchell Robinson. He's not giving you that value. But I think he could be a low percentage, um, a low percentage GPP guy if he comes in with three or four blocks and has a you know twelve and ten double double. It's a possibility for Mitch. They could give those minutes to him. I don't have huge faith in it. I'm definitely not uh, looking at it as a cash type of a play. The uh, the DraftKings side of things, I love a lot here. Nilakina, Dotson, Smith, Doncic, Hardaway, Jordan, Vonley. I think they're all cashable options here. There's just a ton of value across this whole game. Yeah, the pencil Harrison Barnes at 5,300 is strong for cash on DraftKings as well. And Mitch Robinson at 33, just marginally over minimum price, is a great tournament play. There is a lot to like in this matchup uh, over on DraftKings. The next one we look at is the Minnesota, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Utah Jazz. There's no spread at the time of me recording this. The Grizzlies have knocked off the Jazz already this season. I wrote this graphic here, so we're waiting on Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell has been ruled out, though. Alec Burks has also been ruled out. So I would expect they start Royce O'Neal. They could go a different direction. They could go and start Dante Exum. 
Uh, and then you've got Grayson Allen. So they're the three guys who are in the mix. And I think ravishing Rick Rubio also picks up a lot of value. In fact, Rubio at 6,200, I think gets a huge boost. He'll play more minutes because Exxon will be playing more at the two. And an increase in usage for Rubio as well. So I do like him quite a bit at 6,200. Exxon at 38, I think he's pretty strong cash value as that cheap price guy. I love Mike Conley as well, 7,700, just consistently putting up numbers. He's a 40-point average the last three times out against Utah. Really, really like him. Shooting guards, Grayson's at 3,500 minimum salary. Probably not. Garrett Temple, 4,300. He's been playing some decent performances. Um, is it enough to use him at 43? No. And then the Brookses, Dylan, Marshawn, Wayne Seldon. No, no, no. Small forward, Royce O'Neal, minimum salary. Let's go. Let's get a 24 or 25. That's a real possibility. Fans will drop the lower score. Fine. So you can stack those other positions up with, with your, uh, with your Chris Pauls and with your, you know, Kawhi Leonard's or Steph Curry's or these sort of guys, uh, high price players coming on later. So I do like Royce. Jay Crowder at 51, consistently outproducing and getting more minutes than Derek Favors. I love him at that 5,100 price. And Jingle and Joe at 63 also gets a usage boost, gets an assist boost as well with Don Mitchell out. Now, 6,300, I think he's a pretty strong price. Kyle Anderson. Had 34 Fangio points last time out. In 28 minutes, he's at 4,500. He can do it. And he well, the game wasn't even that great for him. But he can produce in, in multiple categories. So I do like Anderson here. More, more for tournaments, probably. And then power forwards. Jaron Jackson Jr. Just cannot stay on the court with fouls. But he is a strong GPP upside guy. That's really about it. Derek Favors is a no. And then the centers. Gasol versus Gobert. Gasol is at 8,100. He is uh, 40 average against Rudy. That's pretty uh, pretty strong. I think he's solid enough in cash. While Gobert at 10-1 is uh, giving you big numbers, but he has struggled mightily with Gasol in the past. Averages just 28 points against him the last three times out. And that 10-1 price tag is, I think it's a little prohibitive. On DraftKings, Rubio, Exum, O'Neal, Conley, they're all pretty good cash options. And then Jaron Jackson has that flyer tournament. So it, it marries up, I guess, with fans. Even Jay Crowder at 51 has uh, has an element of, uh, of appeal. The Toronto Raptors and the Phoenix Suns, no spread, no total. We don't know the status of Devin Booker or Isaiah Kanan. It looks like both of those guys will play. It also looks like TJ Warren will be the starter, as he should, and he should remain that starter at Power Forward all season. And for the Raptors, uh, Freddie Van Vliet is questionable. The news came out as well about Kawhi, the fun guy. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> that he is going to sit out one part of back-to-backs for the immediate future. I don't know how long it will last, but for the next few back-to-backs, he's going to sit those out. Uh, so that's something to bear in mind with him as well at point guard. Well, we don't know if Kanan's going to play or if he's going to start. So Elia Kobo is a risky one at 4,100. He could be that tournament differentiator, especially if we hear that either Kanan's out or that Kobo's starting. But if Booker's back, it takes a bit of the shine away from Ali there. Also, DeLon Wright, Fred Van Vliet, probably not, while Lowry... 8,900 for Kyle Lowry has been killing it. His lowest score in his last five is 40. That is amazing. The problem I have here is that the Suns are terrible and that the Raptors could very, very easily kill them, especially if Booker's out, and that could limit guys like Lowry and like Leonard. So if you hear Booker is out, then you'd leave those guys for tournaments and you'd be, you'd be off them. If Booker's in you know, Toronto on the road, maybe it, they can keep it close enough that uh, that those guys stay in long enough to produce. But Lowry at 89 is, is probably a bit high. Booker's at 7,900. If he is actually back and ready to go, then I, I do like that price for Devin. Uh, while 5,400 for Dan Green is your classic tournament play. Small forward, TJ Warren, 5,400. I love it. I'm in on that for cash. 
The minutes are up. Ryan Anderson's trash. He's shooting well. He's producing. Love it. Trevor Reza, 49, had a strong game last time, but if Booker's back, I would not be interested in him. While Leonard at 10-3, the only reason I'm not interested in Kawhi Leonard as a lock guy, because he's giving you 50 almost every night, is that what if they play 27 minutes because it is an absolute ass-kicking, which is a realistic possibility. The Jedi, Ojananobi. Hello there. He is back after missing the last couple with a personal issue, and I don't think he's going to be useful. He's at 3,700. That's not there, but the last... Two games before, yeah, the last games that he played, it, he limited Pascal Siakam to like 20 minutes of court time, and that's probably going to be his biggest impact because Siakam's been excellent, uh, averaging 38 over the last three. But prior to that, you know, 19 and 18 minutes in those games that Ananobi played. So that's the real impact that the Jedi is going to have. So Siakam at 5,700, I, I, I worry that he's just, he's not going to get that level of minutes, and I think that that will be a strong fade. Joshy Jackson at 36. If Booker's back, man, he should literally should not be in the rotation. So that's going to be a no from me. Serge Barker at 6,300. Consistent minutes. Now, does DeAndre Ayton limit him? I'm not sure, but the Suns have been giving up so many points to uh, opposition big men that 6,300. Serge has been crushing that most nights. I think that that salary rise of 1,100 is uh, is unappealing. So I'd lean, lean away. And then at centre, DeAndre Ayton's at 7,700. A bit disappointing last time for him against the Spurs. Only 20 points. I think you can expect a 35-point type bounce back. Well, Balanchunas at 58. Limited minutes, man. He's just continually crushing it. 32 points in 17 minutes last time out was outstanding. He has done well against the Suns before. DeAndre Ayton is not a good defender. So there is an opportunity here for JV in in one of the best matchups that you can find. I'm just not sure at 5,800 whether it's worth it. I could be persuaded into considering him a cash guy, but I'm not fully all the way there on it yet. For DraftKings, Warren and Abaka are a pretty good cash guys, 5,000 and 5,500 respectively, and JV's at 53. And I'd be, I can be convinced into taking Valanciunas at 5,300. Booker at 77, a little bit more room for concern. 7,000 for Aiton is all right, and 84 for Lowry. The last game of the night is the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are favored by 11. The total is 238.5. Jimmy Butler should be back. Derek Rose, will he get an opportunity to do it again? Because Jeff Teague and Tyus Jones, My name is Jeff. they are both questionable. So we still might see 40 minutes of Derek Rose. Now, of course, he won't be sporting a 44% usage with Jimmy Butler around, but there is still going to be an opportunity to use Derek Rose if Teague and Jones happens to be out. Now, if both of those guys are back, it's probably going to limit Rose. A lot of people will jump on the Rose bandwagon at $6,000 and use him, and I think it might be a solid enough fade, especially in tournaments. But if those guys are out, then at 6000 he is a strong option. Uh, Teague at 6500 would just be your tournament guy, but I'm not really feeling that. Well, Curry at 10 so man, Steph Curry... It's almost 50 points guaranteed. I love it here. No problem at all with using him. Clay's at 6,500. We know he's up and down tournaments only. Jimmy Butler at 9.6. I'm, I'm in on Butler here. I think he'll go out and put up big numbers. 45-pointer, 50-pointer. I think he's a strong, strong cash guy. Small forwards, Durant at 10.7. Give me Steph at 10.7 over Durant. Durant's still excellent, of course, and he has really killed the Wolves in the past, averaging 57 over the last three um, yeah, he's, he's fine to use, clearly. Not my choice of a 10-7 guy, though. Alfonso McKinney, I don't think it's going to be that much of a blowout. Kevon Looney, power forward, no. Draymond Green, 8,000. I think it's probably a bit expensive for Draymond. Did play well last time, 46 points in that last game, but has struggled against Minnesota in the past. Taj at 48 is going to be a, a, a pretty strong fade for me as well, although he does play well against the Warriors, but Thibodeau's been going away from him and splitting the minutes almost equally between Taj and Anthony Tolliver, at least in that last game. Eunice Yurepko, $4,000. 
Strong game last time, but I probably don't see it here. While Townsie, uh, 9,500, back on track. Will Butler impact that? That's a real risk. Centers against the Warriors have been a concern in the past. We saw Wendell Carter play pretty well the other day. I just think the Butler factor, the Warriors factor, it would restrict Towns for tournaments, and even then, not all that interesting. Uh, as for the other centers on the Warriors, well, we don't know what uh, Steve Kerr is going to do. Plus, my. You can call me Coach Steve. Push the wrong button. Um, in my uh, in my haste to get a Coach Steve drop in on uh, on DraftKings, Draymond is great at sixty nine hundred. Jim Butler is looking pretty good as well at eight thousand. They're strong cash guys. Durant, Wiggins, Curry all have some cash numbers. I don't like Wiggins on Fanjul. Um, Townsy eighty nine hundred. That's pretty appealing. And then you got Jeff Teague at fifty two. That is so cheap for Teague. So if Teague plays, I really like that as a six x seven x type upside guy. Over on the old DK, let's go on now to look at the studs and values of the day. Johnny Wall on DraftKings, 8,100. Uh, I think that's a really strong price for him there. And the value play is Nilakina at 4,100. The FanDuel stud I've got is DeAndre Jordan, 8,600. Great matchup for him against the Knicks. And then uh, the best value is Mo Bumba at 47 on FanDuel. Yahoo, we're looking at Jim Butler at 38, and the value is Noah Vonley at 11, almost minimum salary. Moneyball stud is Johnny Wall, 97, and the value play I've got is Ravishing Rick at 65. And the stud on Draft Stars is Russell Westbrook, 19,110, and the value is Nilakina at 7,300. And the best bet to try and close the week, the Wizards Thunder under. Didn't mean that to rhyme. Uh, is under 231.5, so I'm taking the under on that one. Go and support my mustache-growing endeavors, mobro.co slash redrockbball. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Thumbs up, subscribe, leave a comment, all that great stuff. And check out me on Twitter at redrock underscore Beeble and the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net. Best account that you can follow comments from all of our hosts across every team so you get the inside information on every team go and do that check out basketball monster of course as well go become a member it's never too late guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya Stevens.